this morning we're going to preach, I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 42. John Calvin, when, uh, when he spoke of Psalms, he referred to them as the anatomy of the soul, which is, I believe is a fitting description as they dwell a lot upon emotion and drama. And so the Psalms were, were not only written to function as the hymnal, and as a psalm we see this morning, there's many songs that we could pull from it. They were also, the psalms were also written as a beautiful framework by which we can understand what it looks like to worship God. We need the psalms. The church needs the psalms as they teach us the entire range of human emotion. They show us what it looks like to celebrate, to, to rejoice. They show us what it looks like to mourn and to lament. As you open your Bible this morning to Psalm chapter 42, my sermon this morning is titled, A Song of Hope for the Hurting Soul. A Song of Hope for the Hurting Soul. And I, I had a couple different titles swirling in my head, and, and one of them was, What If Spring Never Comes? Right? I mean, man. Or another one was, Only 287 Days Until the First Day of Winter. Who's ready? Right? I don't think anybody would come to hear those sermons. But no, so we'll go with a song of hope for the hurting soul. Uh, what we will find this morning in this text is, is a psalm of lament. A psalm of, of deep sadness in David's soul as, as he is writing here. Paul Tripp, uh, Paul Tripp likes to wear uh, suede shoes, so I'm wearing blue suede shoes today to, to honor him. Man, I respect. But uh, he would call this psalm referencing the sorrow, calling it the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul. And so even before we read it together, let me just give you a brief backdrop of where we find David as he writes this psalm. David, as we know, is the worship leader of God's people, and he finds himself separated from them. In fact, he even finds himself perceived to be separated from the very presence of God, which, of course, in the Old Testament dwelt in the temple. So we don't know where David was, but we know that he was physically separated from being able to go to the place where he worshipped, which he dearly, dearly loved. David was described as a man after God's own heart. But what we will see in this psalm is that David cannot even seem to grasp or feel the heart of God. He is, what we will find is that he is dry and, and depressed. He is in deep sorrow, alone and in despair, desperate for a song of hope. I'm encouraged that what we will see here is that David needs to be reminded that he has a hope in God just like we need reminding of that in our own lives. We have a hope that is sure and steadfast in God alone. So with that as our backdrop of understanding where this text was written, would you please stand with me? Your Bible's turned to Psalm 42. I'm going to read it, read it to you, starting in verse 1. Psalm chapter 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated and let's pray together. Father, we we are a people who are in need of you this morning. And Lord, we have nothing to bring. And so my prayer this morning is that your word would ring within our soul. And Father, for those here this morning who find themselves in a season of suffering, in a season of sorrow or oppression, Lord, that you would work healing that only you can bring through your word and through your Holy Spirit. Help us to fight for joy. And Lord, pray that this psalm would bring encouragement and hope to all of us. Lord, in these moments, prepare us, equip us to know how to fight for joy in the midst of suffering. Give us hope. Give us a song of hope for hurting soul as we lay your word before us this morning. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there, there are going to be seasons in our lives when we all suffer, as David suffered here. And even, even this morning, as I look around the room, many of you may be struggling right now. We, just a few moments ago, took a moment to greet one another and give high fives or hugs or say, glad you're here, what's your name, passed each other in the hallways and gave sweet smiles of exchange. But the reality is, those things happen while hearts are filled, overflowed perhaps, with sorrow. Lives that are filled with suffering. For some of you, it could have taken all the strength you could muster to even walk into the doors of the theater this morning to gather with God's people. Perhaps you're, you're struggling with, with the death of a loved one, one who is sick and battling for their life, questioning whether or not God is good whether or not God has forsaken you, or, or maybe a recent medical condition or diagnosis has 
come before you and you're spiraling, questioning God's comfort and encouragement for your soul. There are going to be seasons where we doubt, where we question, even wrestle with God. There will be seasons where sorrows will rattle the very chambers of our soul. And these are the seasons that will cause us to ask specific, sometimes difficult questions about God and perhaps even of God. So maybe this morning I'm speaking and you're saying, well, I'm not walking through a season of suffering right now. I'm not dealing with sorrow or oppression. Praise the Lord for that. Praise God that he has kept you from that. But the reality is the day will come, the chances are pretty sure the season will come when you will face an immense season of sorrow, a circumstance or a trial of suffering that you will come face to face with and will have to answer some of these questions. So my question for you this morning as we begin is in the midst of suffering, what song will you sing? What song will you sing? If, if I was to squeeze you, what would the lyrics of your song be? Would they sing, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee? Or would they, I don't know what's the latest song, would they, would they say, the cold it doesn't even bother me anyway, right? Uh, so you know what I'm talking about. What is the song that fills our soul in the season of suffering? That's the question that we need to be aware of this morning. This psalm was written for the hurting soul. This psalm was written to bring hope. And so this morning, if you find yourself filled with sorrow, this psalm is meant to encourage you. If you are a hurting soul, this psalm is in your Bible that you would have a song to sing. So to those who are suffering, to those who are in sorrow, even to those who are oppressed, being persecuted for your faith by our long-standing enemy Satan, this psalm is written to bring you comfort and to remind you that God is our hope and God is our salvation. I, I'm taking a couple seminary classes right now and Quite overwhelmed, actually. But one of the one of the classes is on uh, the history of Christian worship, and the, I have a thick textbook about this thick. And there's some fascinating things as you think through uh, the last two centuries of Christian worship. But there's also some not so fascinating things in there too. Just, ooh. but one of the things I've been reading about a little bit besides that as well is Martin Luther and the contributions that he has brought to to the church and to worship and to a right theology of who God is. And, and one of the things I, I read about him or was made aware of about him is that he battled against spiritual depression. And I came across a story of his life and how during a certain season he would suffer much depression. And in one of these seasons, um, he was so depressed that he would just sit in his room and murmur to himself and sulk. God blessed Martin Luther by giving him a wife that kept him balanced and grounded, if you will. Do we all have love, love our wives? Yes. Woo. And, uh, and so God gave Martin Luther a wife, and she was as, her name was Catherine, and she was as witty as he was. When I say that, meaning she could punch through a wall with her words 
just like he could. He was quick-witted, sharp-tongued, sometimes offensive. So one of these particular seasons of depression, she walked in his study, and she was dressed in funeral clothing. And she said to, to Martin Luther, did you hear about the funeral? And Luther said, uh, there is no funeral. I would have heard of a funeral. And she said, oh no, there is a funeral. And Luther said, well, who has died? And she said, God has died. You see, Luther got the point. <laughs> is she quick-witted or what? He was, she was trying to convince him that God is not dead, although he was acting like it, but rather God was alive, and because God is alive, therefore you have hope. That's our encouragement this morning. We have hope because God is alive. As we look at the text this morning, we will see three different elements of human emotion. Sorrow, suffering, and oppression. We'll look and see that God is innately involved in all of the emotions of human experience. And so this morning, as we look at these three realities, we will see how they apply to the hurting soul. We'll, we'll go through these individually, but we'll look in verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 42, that in sorrow, God is our hope. Verses 6 through 10, in suffering, God is our song. And in verses 9 through 11, in oppression, God is our salvation. So as we look first at verses 1 through 5, I'd like for us to consider that in sorrow, God is our hope. God is our hope. Look right at verse 1. It starts right at the top. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you. So pants my soul for you. We see a graphic image here of a deer panting for water. This is to demonstrate the nature of what the psalmist is, is feeling here. He is, what he is feeling within his inner being, his very soul. You see, David has known the presence of God. He has experienced it. He has tasted and seen that God is good. But in, but in this text, we, he feels abandoned. He feels separated from the presence of God. And so what he's saying is, God, if I don't see, if I don't taste and see that you are good, I will die. I, I must have God, he is saying. He's, he's in desperation, panting, and he knows, he knows in his soul that only God can satisfy the soul, the, the hope that his soul requires. We recognize that there are seasons in our own lives that we do not walk. And when I say our own lives, I'm talking to those in this room who are believers. If you are a follower of Christ, there are inevitably seasons in your life that you do not walk in remarkable communion with God. If you do, always, I would love to meet you. But we sense in those seasons that maybe God has forgotten us, as David refers here. Maybe God has forsaken us, as he says. So if, if you have not experienced a season like that, this psalm may just wash over you. It might get lost to you. But if you have walked with Christ for any length of time, this rings true. So the, the truth I want you to glean, whether you are a follower of Christ for a long time, whether you are a new believer, 
or even if you were in this room and you were saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Here's what I want you to know that I am saying, and here's what I am not saying about suffering. There will come a day in suffering in your life when you will not sense God's nearness. This does not mean that God has forgotten you. It does not mean that God has forsaken you. It does not mean that you are no longer a child of God. But rather it is in these seasons of suffering, in these times or trials of sorrow, that we must fight for hope and fight for joy, knowing that in Christ, joy is our reward. Knowing that in Christ, our hope has been secured and is sealed. Look at verse 3. He again uses the, the metaphor of water, talking about his tears. But it's used in a different way. Verses 1 and 2, it's saying, I'm thirsting for the presence of God. But now here in verse 3, we're finding that David needs relief from his suffering. He's not asking for a drink, but rather relief from his thirst. Look what he gets instead. My tears have been my food day and night. He's forced to drink his tears. He's in agony. He can't sleep. He can't eat. He's saying, what can I do? I, I, I don't know what to do. Anybody been there? Questioning, where is God? In some Psalms that we see that David has written, they're written in times where David has sinned. And because of those sins, there are consequences or seasons of suffering that he has brought upon himself. But we have no indication by this psalm that there is a sense of, of harbored sin in his soul or a, a need for him to repent of sin. It is simply a loss of communion with God that he cannot figure out. He is pursuing God. He's, he's praying, crying out to God. He's probably probably reading Puritan Prayer, Valleys of Vision, probably reading Comforts on the Cross from Elise Fitzpatrick. Oh, wait, those aren't written yet. No, he is he's pursuing God in all the ways that he knows how, but he does not have a genuine sense of God's presence. There are going to be those seasons in our lives, maybe now, that you are doing all the things you know to be true, the things that you know to be right, and you're not sensing God. What do we do then? This psalm is for you. When we find ourselves in the desert, in the darkness, we must be intentional of pursuing God, fixing our eyes on Christ. As Paul Tripp has written, if the darkness, what if the darkness is so great you can't seem to find the light? He wrote, he wrote an article on this psalm, and here's, Here's what he said that I like, Paul Tripp. He says, One of the most important things to do in those moments of darkness is to remember the things that you have learned in the light. It is very easy when darkness comes to think that somehow God has changed. Somehow his promises have changed. Or somehow God has moved. If on a bright and sunny day you walk into your basement where there is no light and you're surrounded by darkness... The reality that you left is still reality. The sun still shines. You just happen to be in a place of darkness. 
it would be wrong to panic and say, the light is gone, the light is gone. The light still shines. What we see here, even in verses 4 and 5, that David begins to practice, David begins to, to learn and become very good at, is the art of remembering. Look at verse 4 and 5. These things I remember. David is remembering the times when he sensed God's presence. He's looking back to those seasons when he tasted and saw that God was good, that God was faithful to him. He's thinking about how good it was to be with God's people, singing together, worshiping together. Look at the text. He's walking through festivals, remembering God's goodness, how God had called his people, how God had redeemed his people, how God had shown his faithfulness to his people. Do you see what he's remembering here? It's congregational worship. Huh? Is that great or what? Congregational worship. You probably see where I'm going with this now. Cat's out of the bag. But, but these times of worship that he's recalling are what, what had shaped the man he had become. What this tells me is that we have to be so cautious as we approach our, our gathering together as a congregation on Sunday mornings during this second service, or maybe you overslept in normally first service, the service that you attend, uh, we are not just walking through mindless or heartless religion. What we're doing is we are walking through, even as David recalled, we are walking through a, a liturgy, if you will, a rehearsed practice of remembering the gospel, remembering the goodness of God that he has demonstrated to us throughout our past. And hopefully that is forming our approach to worship, but also it's shaping how we respond to sorrow. A church's liturgy is a shaping experience. This morning as we think through the songs that we have sung, and you may have said, wow, these were, these were newer songs I might not know as well. That was intentional. We could have sung the songs that were written hundreds of years ago, that you sang when you were growing up, that you know what the, the little notes on the, on the score look like. Intentionally, I, I chose songs this morning that are maybe not as familiar to you because I wanted you to focus more on what those lyrics communicated. They were timeless truths, just like those hymns that we all know, because I want us to focus on understanding why we sing what we sing. What is the goal? The goal is to form our right understanding of what it means to worship God, so that when we come into a season or a trial of sorrow, we respond well. This was evident in David's life. So maybe you're saying, you're hearing all I'm saying, you're saying, well, what are we to remember? Well, we're remembering, as I said, the gospel. We're remembering the goodness of God as we gather together on Sundays. We're remembering that we are a sinful people that apart from God's sending his son for us, Apart from standing in his righteousness, there is nothing good in and of ourselves. We are remembering that we are a needy and a thirsty people, just like David was. And so as we gather, 
we have the opportunity to call not only our own souls and hearts, but call one another's attention to Christ through, through singing together, through reading God's word together, through the hearing of the sermon being preached together. That is why we must hold our gatherings together in high regard so that when we gather together with God's people, we are reminded of God's goodness again and again. Because if we don't remind our souls again and again of, of the gospel, of our hope that exists in Christ, then what does the song say? It says, My heart is prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, to leave the God I love. Right? We can't leave it up to ourselves. May, may we remember the promises of God and be rooted and fixed in them. We see that through remembering David's hope is restored. Look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, as he speaks to his soul? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He reminds his heart that while he does not sense God, he knows his hope on him has been fixed. That is a very important reality that we must know. In sorrow, God is our hope. Speak to ourselves. Talk to ourselves. Remember in that reality who we are because of Christ. Who we are because of what Christ has done for us. In our depravity, he saved us. Christ has given us hope that is not fixed on anything that we have done, but rather on the work that Christ has done. So we've got to get very good at preaching to our souls about remembering the gospel. That's what we see David doing here. My prayer is that as our church is filled with men and women who are grieving and suffering, that, that we would not be those who hide behind the masks of fake joy, but rather those who are honest with emotions, honest with grieving and suffering, but that we would suffer well because our hope is rooted and grounded in this reality that our hope is in God and, our hope, and the hope is ours in Christ. So number two, the second thing that we see, not only is in our sorrow God as our hope, but in verses six through eight, another reality we see is that in suffering, God is our song. God is our song. You know, this psalm could have been preached many different ways, and it would have been easy, well, I would have loved to try to make it easy, to make it just nice and neat and clean, you know, like a sitcom, 30 minutes, story, solved, theme music, da 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 But it's not that way. Like, as you look at, as you look at the psalm and you see David struggle, it's, it's clumsy. It's, it's a mess. David, David's a mess. It's it's up and down. There's ebbs and flows. There's spiritual heights and spiritual depths. David is, is undone. I wrote a note here, just in my margin, that says David was doing the ugly cry, right? I mean, he was, he was probably like one of these, these artist guys. You know who those artist worship guys are? Those high-strung? Yeah. He was probably one of those guys that just cried on the drop of a hat. And, but uh, he, uh, he was up and down, going through waves of emotions, and in, in this psalm, we're finding that his heart is laid bare as he's crying out to God. 
placing his hope in God. And now what we find in this text is that he's experiencing sorrow. Now what's being multiplied to his sorrow is trials of suffering. Sorrow is, is internal conflict. That is, I'm, I'm not sensing God's presence. Suffering is the outward things that come into our lives that bring us sorrow. And so look at, in verse 2, he wants a drink. And then you notice in verse 7, it says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So it's a, it's a tsunami, if you will, of suffering poured down on him, crashing upon his soul. I was at a class in January on, on suffering and I jotted down five statements that were made regarding suffering. Five, five truths. I'm not going to unpack these, but I just want you to, to hear these and think about these. Suffering exposes what we know and what we think about God. Suffering exposes what we know and what we think about God. Number two, suffering exposes the character of our lives. Suffering exposes the character of our lives. Number three, suffering exposes where our hope lies. Suffering exposes where our hope lies. Number four, suffering drags what is in darkness into the light. Suffering drags what is in darkness into the light. And number five, suffering makes us groan for the renewal of all things. Suffering makes us groan for the renewal of all things. I have to admit that I'm still learning how, how to suffer well. I'm still learning how to suffer along with my wife, Jan. I'm still learning how to suffer along with my children. We all experience different severity of suffering, but the reality is suffering is, is a part of life. We need to be prepared for it. We need to get very good at suffering alongside of God's people. I've heard it said that, that Job's friends, when he was going through immense suffering, that they were great friends. They were great friends when he was going through his suffering right up until the part that they opened their mouths. You know, we can't, we can't be quick to prescribe why we're suffering. Well, I... I'm suffering because of, of this. And so I, I just have to do better and, and try harder. Or I, I just have to snap out of it. I just have to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I have to do this one on my own. I got myself in. I'm going to get myself out. No, God's people suffer together, right? We suffer together as as those who call themselves the children of God as those who are part of the local church. We know that the day will come when all things will be made right and our hope in Christ will be fulfilled and experienced with complete joy and there will be no more suffering. But until that day, we need as God's people to come alongside those who are suffering, those who are mourning, those who find life hard and difficult, we need to encourage them, show them that they can have hope in God, that God can be their song. 
we see her again in this, in this psalm as David has this inward struggle. He practices that art of remembering. When his sorrow is mounted, he remembers again corporate worship. He remembers the times that he experienced close communion with God. Verse 8, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. In verse 8, in the midst of suffering, God is causing, God's love is causing David's heart to sing. Does your heart sing in the midst of suffering as you remember the gospel? So, brothers and sisters in Christ, those who call themselves followers of his, has, has our understanding of God, has our remembrance of the gospel caused us to recognize that God's love has been fixed upon us in Jesus. That while sorrow exists, yes, while suffering is inevitable, absolutely, but in the midst, the countenance of God is smiling over us. As Zephaniah would say, that he is singing over us songs of love. God is the shepherd of his people that walks with us through difficult circumstances. Are we reminding ourselves of that? In all of trials, in all of sorrow, in all of suffering, God has our good and his glory in mind. This is what we see as David is on the brink of despair. He's going down. He's going to drown. But all of a sudden he remembers. He remembers the gospel. And imagine the gospel that he knew is even greater for us as we have seen it fulfilled in the person of Christ. And so as we remember what Christ has done for us, our hearts should be filled with songs of hope. One more connection on this that I want to make a note of is, is the connection that exists between suffering and singing. Not only in this psalm, but even in God's word. You think of, of David in you know, 1 Samuel 16. Saul is, a, is going through a season of oppression and suffering. And what does he do? He wants David to come and sing to him, right? We think of Paul and Silas in a jail. And what are they doing? They're singing, right? Pretty cool. What would you do in, in seasons of suffering? Are you singing to the Lord? Are you remembering the gospel? The songs of our faith have a profound impact on us. That is why the, the songs that we sing here at Bethany, when we gather together, it is so vital that the songs that we sing remind us of the greatness and the goodness of God. That they remind us of the hope, the, the joy that we have in the person of Christ. We, we don't want to sing songs that are, that are flippant. Or as I had a friend in college, he would say, seven eleven songs, right? Seven words, 11 times. Keep going. Yeah. We want to sing songs that help us to suffer well. Suffer well. When we see one another downcast or filled with sorrow, may we as a church sing over each other figuratively and maybe even literally. May we remind one another of, of the hope that we have been given 
in Christ and of the song that is ours because of God. So lastly, number three, the third reality that we see in verses 9 through 11 is that in oppression, God is our salvation. God is our salvation. In the midst of sorrow and suffering, if, if it could not get worse for David, right? He's finding himself being oppressed or, or persecuted, if you will. Those that are around him, um, verse 9 and 10, Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with deadly wounds in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Those that are around him are now persecuting him, oppressing him. I believe in our, in our country, here in America, I think this is something that's very difficult for us to relate to. Um, something difficult for us to identify with. Now maybe, maybe in your circle of friends or your workplace, the place that you are, you are regularly persecuted. But, but normally, regularly, most of us are not going through this type of oppression because of our trust in Christ or because of our commitment to adhere to God's word. But let me just say, the day is coming, even if it's already here and coming, coming more quickly, that as a culture and as a society, we will become more and more under attack, that the truths of Scripture are going to be assaulted. The, the words of hope that we would proclaim are going to be under attack. And so we must be a people that continually sit under the authority of God's word, heralding it, standing by it with all humility and with love. And so, as we identify here with David being oppressed, how can we do that as we have been blessed to live in a country that we have not had to face that persecution? Let me just remind you that we do have an oppressor. We do have a, a persecutor, one who is ferocious and vicious. His name is Satan. Pay attention to the tone here of the oppressor in Psalm 42 of how he taunts David. What does he say? He says in verse 10, Where is your God? Where is your God now, David? Has he forgotten you? He doesn't love you. He begins to question David in a subtle way. He's echoing even the very accusations that, that David is speaking to himself in contrast. No soul. God has not forsaken me. God is my hope. In him is my salvation. In him is my strength. Where is God when your career has come to a standpoint? Where is God when, when your spouse has abandoned you? Where is God when all of your right parenting seems to just unwind and your children seem to pursue other things than pleasing God? Where is God when you're battling spiritual depression? These are the questions that Satan, the oppressor, would ask of us to begin to cause us to doubt. Do you hear it? The voice of the enemy? He loves to accuse, to question, to bring about doubt. But let me say this. There is a louder voice in the room than the voice of the accuser. It is the voice of God. Listen here. Why are you cast down, O my soul, verse 11 says. Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for again I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. 
Again, David preaches to his soul, reminding himself, encouraging himself, even commanding himself to hope in God. Is it clumsy? Yeah. Is it messy? Absolutely. Is it never-ending? Yes. It's a cycle that we see David go through again and again and again. And guess what? It's going to be true for us as well. So what does that mean? It means that we need to be really good at knowing how to suffer, how to be rooted and fixed in what we know is true about God, about Christ, so that when suffering comes, and it will, when sorrow is in our midst, and it will be, when oppression is upon us, and it might be now, but it's going to come even more, that we can stand firm in hope. Our time is gone. I know how Daniel feels. But let me just remind you of, of the, the sweet comparison here of the gospel and David's psalm here. In a, few, in a few weeks, in a month, we're going to celebrate Easter and look and consider the account of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Remember this of the gospel. Jesus, when he was in the garden, he was filled with sorrow, it says. He had no sleep. His joy was squandered. And what does he say? Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. So we move ahead and we remember Jesus' suffering. We, we were reminded that he, he was beaten and whipped, wore a crown of thorns and endured the cross, enduring the total punishment of sin being laid upon him, suffering for us, suffering in a way that we will never experience. And then Christ being oppressed by those who would persecute him, the guards, the Jews, you and me. His sin nailed, our sin nailed Christ upon the cross so that, we, so that we could stand before a holy God. Christ was filled with sorrow. Christ suffered for our sins. Christ was oppressed and persecuted. So if we remember the gospel, if we get, if we get so good at remembering the gospel, it will bring about hope. It will bring about a song. It will bring about salvation in God. As we close, let me, let me read to you. I'm going to ask our band to come on up if they're not already here. I'm going to read to you as we close. I'm going to read this as a prayer as we close our time. It's the words of a song that we sing that I believe capture well our response to suffering should be. It's called O. Um, our song from age to age. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray together. I'm going to pray this, this truth from God's word. O God of power, living word, the one who made the stars, who with your glory filled the earth from dust, made beating hearts. You loved us when we fell away, poured mercy on our souls, and promised grace would come to save Toulouse, death's iron hold. O God of promises fulfilled, the God who took on flesh, who did all that the Father willed, was humbled unto death. You bore our cross of sin and shame, endured our agony. With gladness we now bear your name and worship at your feet.
O God, who surely guides our steps through tempests and through trials, our shepherd king, your way is best, through tear, though tears now veil our eyes. Your steadfast love, our perfect hope, our eyes are fixed on grace. We have no doubt that you will lead us home to finally see your face. You are our song from age to age. Our voices unite to recount your praise again and again. You are our song from age to age. We will proclaim your power to save again and again. May that be true for us, that as we face the tempest, the trials, the suffering that will come, I guarantee it's coming. May our song be again and again to remember the gospel, to proclaim it to others, to encourage each other to remember the gospel as well so that it could bring us hope, it could be our song, and it could be our salvation.